And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolidation of Israel. And the, holi- or sorry, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus, or brought in the child of Jesus, to do for him according to the customs of the law, He took him up and in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All I want for Christmas is some people know the song thank you (laughs) um so it's a song maybe you've heard it on the radio uh i like the song it's very catchy uh, just from a musical standpoint um but yeah sincere question to you what do you want for christmas how would you fill in that blank um and so i want us to think a little bit about our desires um you can maybe further just think about our desires as needs versus wants and specifically Would you agree with me that as you look back on your life, hopefully our desires and wants and needs have grown up a bit? Meaning when you were younger, you really wanted that one thing, maybe even through a tantrum. And then as you grow up, you realize, okay, why did I go so crazy about that want when I was younger? And you gain perspective. Your needs and wants grow up. Our priorities in life change. You see more of life and just more of the human condition and And hopefully our needs and wants grow up in a sense. And Christmas is like that. Christmas requires us to grow up in a sense. If we're going to really understand the meaning of Christmas, which is really Christ Mass, that Jesus, the Christ, is at the center, we need to be willing to change what we think are our real needs and wants. Uh, Zach did a great job, and and I felt like we could have just gone home after his... um, you know, just uh, skillful emceeing and uh, did a great job almost preaching just uh, about the meaning of Christmas and stole some of my thunder, but that's okay. Um, And so Christmas, just in the very word, there's Christ. But if we're honest, for many of us, it's more giftmas, right? Maybe for some of us, it's year-end bonusmas, 
Not so much Christmas. Maybe family must and tradition must. Maybe decorations must. Uh, our family is a little bit guilty of that. Right after uh, Memorial Day or Remembrance Day, you know, we honor the veterans and then we bring out the holiday cheer. Um, some people, right after Halloween. Perhaps as well, and Zach alluded to it, why am I stressing way too much over hosting mass, right? So what is Christmas really about for you? Put simply, the biblical understanding, the Bible's message of what Christmas truly is, is that it proclaims. It proclaims that Jesus fulfills our deepest need and desires and even wants. So to our friends who haven't placed faith in Jesus yet, this is what I hope you'll really think about with me in these next moments. The biblical meaning of Christmas, the Christmas story from the Bible, is that Jesus fulfills our desires, our deepest needs, our, even, our, even our wants. And for the Christian today, that you would be more encouraged to live into this and that you experience Jesus to be real in this way for you. And so the, the big picture prayer and what we want to talk about today, are you fulfilled? Just e even in this moment, are you fulfilled at Christmas? And my prayer for us, myself included, and I hope that as we work through Luke's passage today, because I think he's talking about fulfilled desires in Jesus, I hope that there might be something stirring in your heart that would want to talk to God by faith, because that's where the Christian life starts, faith, and, and to just talk to God, pray to him. That there be a prayer stirring in our hearts in response to the passage today, the scripture today, something along these lines. Lord, help me see how all my desires are fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. Help me see that. Even if I don't believe in it or agree with it fully, at least to understand, to begin to understand logically and, and, and just from a life experience standpoint, how that's supposed to be. But I hope go beyond that and, and that you'll actually believe it and so what we want to ask um, just for the rest of our time together very simply how does jesus fulfill our desires and so i hope this becomes very practical uh, for you as well wherever you're at in your spiritual walk that there'd be some practicality uh, just in reflecting on today's passage how does jesus fulfill our desires and i think luke wants us to see uh, at least three things. It's a very rich passage, and we don't have time to really get into everything, but at least three things that uh, Jesus fulfills our desire to be redeemable. Jesus fulfills our desire for justice. And Jesus fulfills our desires if we let him. Okay? So first, Jesus fulfills our desires to be redeemable. Now, what do I mean by redeemable? Uh, I think a recent Christmas movie illustrates it well. Uh, I had a chance to see it, and, and I recommend it with a little bit of parental discretion. Um, and it's a clever script. It's a twist on Charles Dickens' classic, The Christmas Carol, uh, with Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, and the whole idea is that uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, the plot reminds us that Scrooge was once considered unredeemable. He was miserly, he was greedy, he was selfish, he was mean, uh, and he was only surpassed by Ryan Reynolds' character, who's a modern-day Scrooge uh, in the red box there, and who's also stamped and labeled as unredeemable. 
Uh, and he's unredeemable in the story. And it's not too far from probably what you and I observe in life or maybe experience, or maybe we've even been this person. He's self-absorbed. He spreads misinformation. He has little compassion for the downtrodden. But there's also another character, a supporting character, uh, a lady who carries the guilt and shame of compromises she's made as she's trying to climb the corporate ladder at no matter the cost. And so first, a little bit uncomfortable question, but necessary as I invite you to look into the spiritual mirror to see your own self-reflection. Have you ever felt unredeemable? Uh, do you have any nagging regrets in your life? Have you said something hurtful, nasty, below the belt that you wish you could take back? Have you had moments of pretty ugly, even despicable selfishness? Or maybe you've made some compromises as you've tried to climb the ladder of whatever it is. And so the rest of the story is about two main characters, uh, these two main characters trying to redeem themselves. And their basic strategy is to try to just do more good. Kind of wake up each day, just be at it again, just try their best to make a good choice and to do good. And there's some goodness to that. You're probably hearing that. It's like, that, that sounds nice. That sounds moral and redeeming but according to the bible we have to rethink just that notion of just trying to do more good i'll put it this way i've been reading um, an autobiography these days uh, the late entrepreneur tony shea and he's famous um, just in the business world for having uh, been bought out by amazon for you know 1.2 billion dollars the company that he started up and he shares of an experience where he climbed up Mount Kilimanjaro and he got to catch the sunrise. Just imagine that first climbing through the dark and then being at the peak and catching this brilliant, glorious sunrise. And he reflects when you can climb to the top of a mountain and do something that you feel like humans shouldn't do, you begin to believe that nothing is impossible. And I think he's bang on just how we think as humans. We begin to do a little good. We begin to accomplish some feats. We begin to taste a little success. And we, then we begin to think we can do the impossible. We're basically put God. We begin to think so high of ourselves that way. And that's what the two characters in the story spirited were trying to do. The way they were trying to redeem themselves. And so we start to think like this as humans, but because we do enough good, because we think we can be good enough, we, then when it comes to our relationship with God, as we have a moment and we, if we actually take the time to deal with God, we think that God should meet us on our terms and that he should accept what we have to offer. We come, become big that way in our own minds. Now, I, I know that generally just spreading good probably appeals to the average person's sensibilities. The notion that you could be good enough in and of yourself to redeem yourself uh, entirely on your own. But as we're gonna see, we're gonna begin to draw it out from the text now, uh, it's, it's, it's the antithesis, it's the diametric opposite. It's contradictory to Jesus's message and the Christmas message. And so let's start looking at the text. As we pick up today, it begins in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, Jesus was eight days old. 
when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, this is not just a, a warm picture of a Jewish family having a Jewish ceremony and a Jewish ritual. It's not just a family tradition thing. But what we need to understand and how we need to frame this moment is that Mo Joseph and Mary and Jesus essentially are obeying the law. They're obeying God's law given through Moses. And this wasn't just some nice cultural ritual, but this was a requirement. And in God's mind, we won't get into all the ins and outs of it, but in God's mind, there's a connection here to just even morality and so forth and being set apart as God's people. And the point of God naming his son Jesus, we can't just brush over this. Even the name Jesus is intentional. It means the Lord saves. The Lord redeems. So I want, to want you to imagine with me, you're hanging from the CN Tower, right? And if this is starting to cause too much anxiety, you can stop. You don't have to go. But, but just imagine you're hanging from the top of the CN Tower, the pod, but hanging by a thread. The wind is gusting 80 kilometers per hour. You're swaying back and forth. Would you agree with me? You can't save yourself in that moment. I'm, I'm deliberately painting a scenario. You can't save yourself and you need someone stronger, someone more stable with a vantage point and strong enough to pull you up and save you. And in this picture here, as Joseph and Mary are obeying God's law and Jesus, even as an infant, so to speak, he, he is already beginning. Actually, it's probably the first law of God that applies to him as a human being. And Jesus, by virtue of Mary and Joseph obeying as well, he's obeying God's law even in his infancy. And how appropriate that his name is the Lord saves, meaning what, we're, what Luke wants us to see here is this is just a little window into the entire law of God. And we all know, we all know when it comes to the law of God, no one, no one, the Bible says so clearly in many places, Everyone falls short of the law of God, be it specifically the law through Moses or be it the, more generally the moral law of God that is on people's hearts and consciences and, and just woven into the fabric of the universe. Even your own standards, you can't live up to perfectly. And so this is a window into the fact that we can't, we, we fall short of being perfect before God. And so we need someone to save us. We need someone outside of ourselves named Jesus whose purpose and identity is the Lord saves. We need, metaphorically speaking, someone to be able to pull us up when we're hanging by a thread from the CN Tower. And so we also need to appreciate here that Joseph and Mary are, are making effort to do right by God. They're seeking to obey God's law, which required newborn boys to be circumcised, much like you might honor our government's requirements for a child to be vaccinated and apologies. I'm not trying to ruffle feathers. It might be soon for a vaccination reference. I don't know. I'm just trying to illustrate the fact that here is a family trying to obey God. They're trying, trying, trying. But the reality is that it's a window into the fact that they, they can't save themselves. And so there's something beautifully ironic here that 
the, their very boy to whom they're trying to obey God is actually named the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And Luke develops this further in the next verse. And when the time for their purification according to the law of Moses came, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so again, notice here that Luke is pointing out the reason why they're doing all this because they need to be purified. They know that they are fallen short before God's standards, his moral standards. They need to be cleansed, just being doing life in this broken world. And again, we won't get into all the, the, the explanations of why, but God just, life being under the curse of sin, even a mother bearing child needed cleansing afterward, a, a religious cleansing. And so Luke making it clear here that they needed to be purified, both uh, Mary and uh, Mary herself and, and now Jesus to obey the law even as an infant. So here's the Bible truth. Here's the truth that, that we need to consider that Luke is putting forward to us. You and I have to find a way to be purified before God according to his law, his standards, his expectations, so we can also be found, as it says, holy to the Lord. That's the truth of it, but here's the grace of it. That's why Jesus came. That's why his name is the Lord saves. And it's a beautiful thing that Jesus, even in his infancy, is acting as our Savior. Because we know, Matthew's gospel says it beautifully, quoting Jesus, I came to fulfill the law. I came to obey it perfectly in a way that you can't, that no human being can't, so that I can stand in your place as your substitute before God. This whole scene of a firstborn son being dedicated would also remind the original readers, and it should remind us today too, of, of Israel's story. Where's the moment in Israel's history that a, a firstborn son is right at the center of, of a certain exciting chapter of Israel's history? It was when they were redeemed from slavery in Egypt. That God passed over and spared all the firstborn sons of the households who obeyed God's instructions to paint their doorposts with the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And so even here, just that picture developing, God wants us to see this as a picture of redemption. That's the whole point. How does Jesus fulfill our desires? To be redeemable. And so here's the good news. Please, I, I want this to sink into your hearts, to, to warm your hearts, for you to get a good vibe as I say this. You are redeemable. Jesus says, and he came to convince you by his life and love and sacrifice for you on the cross, you are redeemable. Go back to the question, do I ever feel unredeemable? And any thought that came, any feeling that surfaced, maybe it was too short of a time for you to reflect and, and you go from this place and you reflect and thoughts come, 
I, if I'm honest, yeah, I do feel unredeemable in certain ways because of certain past or whatnot. The good news here is that you are redeemable. Let that sink in. Next, I think Luke wants us to see in answering the question, how does Jesus fulfill our desires? Jesus fulfills our desires for justice. For justice. So what do we mean by justice? Uh, what I mean by justice is um, a right, sorry, a wrong being made right according to the highest authority. According to the highest law, a wrong being made right. And so that could mean we, we feel injustice or we want justice. It could be something as down to earth as fair pay. You're trying to negotiate your salary, perhaps, or your wages. And, and you want justice for to be recognized for all your hard work, your skills, what you offer. Perhaps it's, you're seeing someone who is proud, arrogant. They cut corners, but they're successful, and they're just getting away with everything. And you want some justice. You look out onto the world, you see the poor and, and just unfair treatment towards them or, or you know, disadvantage, not being able to access all the same resources. Perhaps you want justice. So some wrong being made right by the highest authority possible making that right. That's what we mean by justice. So where do we see justice in today's scripture? As we continue, and they came... And the way they would purify themselves is to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. So Mary and Joseph, they had to offer up a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, what we have to understand here is, and I'll explain it this way, uh, tax season is around the corner and we'll pay taxes based on our income bracket, Right. Lower income bracket, lower taxes. Higher income bracket, higher taxes. And God's law here had a similar provision because the default sacrifice that Joseph and Mary had to offer for their purification in this situation was actually a lamb. But then God mercifully makes a provision for those who can't afford a lamb. Even when it came to sacrifices, there was a sacrifice bracket a lower sacrifice bracket, higher sacrifice bracket based on what you could afford or not. And so when it says a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, this was God's merciful provision for those who couldn't afford the lamb. And we know Joseph and Mary, they were some of the most honest human beings that you'll meet on this earth. And so they're not trying to evade sacrifice you know, payment in a sense, as some people might try to evade taxes, but they legitimately could only afford the poor bracket of sacrifice. See, it's not a far cry to understand that Jesus, he was born into poverty. And what we mean by justice here is I want you to see justice in the scene with me by recognizing that Jesus came from a poor family. God, God, the second person of God, as he decides to enter history, he deliberately chooses to enter humanity at the lowest place. 
And we know Jesus, he, he stayed relatively at, at, at that place, just humble in society, even to the point of death, dying a criminal's death. At that time in the Roman government, dying the, the, just the most shameful death that one could die, crucifixion. And so there's this deliberate humility by God in entering this world. The God of the universe chose to enter and appear to humanity as poor and humble. He didn't come as a decadent, indulgent, self-entitled, privileged king surrounded by pomp and ego strokers living in opulence. He deliberately came as poor. So let me help us try to appreciate this by asking this question. Would you agree with me that by and large, hopefully you can appreciate Jesus appearing as humble, God coming in humility. Would you agree with me that by and large, our world, generally speaking, it runs on pride and performance, the opposite of humbleness and humility. Would you agree with me? And what I mean is that in order to make it in this world, you've got to puff your chest. You've got to proudly put your best foot forward. You've got to perform with confidence when it counts. You've got to get the job done. That's how you get the contract. That's how you get the client. You can't let people walk over you. That's just how this world generally works. Even when it comes to charity, if we're honest, a lot of us, it's not that the motive underneath the charity is to, to humble brag. You heard that term? Just learned that in the past few weeks. People humble bragging. You look humble on the outside as you're serving and volunteering, but really it's sort of a you know, calculated act to show off your humility and to gain points. But on the other hand, when you see someone who is truly humble, has sincere, bona fide humility, and you see them being recognized, there's a sense of justice there, right? Someone who's, who's honest and humble, working hard, there's a sense of justice, and you want to celebrate that moment, that situation. Even when, let's say, your favorite team today, perhaps even right now, I don't know how it's going, but in the World Cup, perhaps your team is going to win. But something is, there's a bitter, sweet aftertaste in your mouth if they're so arrogant about their victory, right? There's something good and pure about even winning in a humble fashion, in a, in a you know, sincere, humble fashion. So what I want you to see with me is, is that Christmas is about God honoring the truly humble. And, and the justice that God is about to, or that he's communicating, look, in this life, go ahead. If you want, you can play the arrogant, the proud, the boastful game. For this life, if that's the route you want to go, you, could, you can do well in this life by stepping on others, by being proud and arrogant, but God is signaling that there's a life to come. And this is Jesus' message. My kingdom isn't of this world. There's a life to come. There's going to be a new world where I set up my government. I'm the king. And the order is going to be completely flipped upside down. That's why Jesus says, the first shall be the last, the last shall be first. And Jesus himself living this out, God intentionally living this out, demonstrating this, walking the talk, Jesus entering this world in a humble position, 
as demonstrated by the fact that Mary and Joseph, they couldn't even afford the default sacrifice. So this brings us to um, just the third answer to the question, how does Jesus fulfill our desires? Well, let, let's pause there before we get into this last point. Perhaps you're longing for some justice in your life right now. Or you look out on the world and you long for justice. Uh, I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and just in my humble best attempt to understand people, uh, if I had to reduce just the two, just the two greatest desires or wants in in people's hearts, I would reduce it to these two things. First, simply to be loved. To be loved, and second, for justice. I think those are the two greatest desires of humans, and then everything else just sort of trickles from there. And so when we say the greatest desire is just simply to be loved, one way to talk about that is to be redeemable. That you're in a relationship, for example, and the other person accepts you, whether friend or spouse or significant other, that they will just accept you unconditionally with warts and all for you to just be loved. Or if you have hurt in your life, that someone would come along and, and you could experience healing just to be loved. But the other greatest desire being justice. And that, that's why I think it's important that we catch these things even in the passage today. Luke is drawing out that Jesus fulfills our desire to be redeemable. And we see some justice here as well. And so perhaps you're longing for some form of justice. God's message to you is, don't worry. One final day. I mean, even on earth, Hopefully we can taste some expressions of that justice, see manifestations of, of good justice according to God's ways and his righteousness. But God is ultimately saying the Christmas message is that don't worry, one day I will truly right every wrong according to my standards. But this last third point is I think where the rubber meets the road. Jesus fulfills our desires if we let him. If we let him. If we're willing to say by faith, okay, Lord, I'm gonna, I want to see life through your eyes this point forward for the rest of my life. I want to see my story as a part of your gospel story and how you're writing history. Now, where do we see this? As we continue on, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Uh, and this man was righteous and devout, and we're to understand that he was advanced in years, just in the silver years of his life, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So there it is. That's where I'm getting the whole idea of Jesus fulfilling desires. I think Luke wants to see, here's this man, Simeon, and he was just waiting for God to fulfill the deepest longings of his heart for redemption and for justice. And so he's waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. God coming along and vindicating Israel and saying, I'm going to lift you up and declare you the winner according to my standards, my ways, despite the Roman government that is oppressing you right now. And whatever physical circumstances they were experiencing and hardships. So here's a man longing for God to fulfill his desires. 
But here's a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit, the third person of God, and the Holy Spirit revealing to him what that desire should precisely be. And notice here that, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Lord's Christ. Now I want you to, for this not to be lost on you, the Lord's Christ. When you hear that initially, hopefully, at least when I read it, it, it sounded a little awkward. Like, what do you mean the Lord's Christ? Isn't the Lord Christ? That, you know, just welcomes another sort of clarification. Oftentimes, um, you don't have to do a, a quick poll or survey here, but just in your own mind, um, when you hear Jesus Christ, do you understand that Christ isn't Jesus's last name? It's a title. And so just to try to be funny, I don't know if this is going to be funny or not, but it'd be like saying the Lord's Chung. That's my, that's my last name. Like, that's not what's going on here. Christ is a title, and it means God's Messiah, God's chosen one. It's really a synonym for the saving one. And so when we hear Jesus Christ, it's really Jesus, and his name means the Lord saves, and his title is the saving one. And so his name really is this doubling down on his purpose and who he really is. That's why it says the Lord's Christ, the Lord's saving one, the Lord's chosen one. Simeon was waiting for this person with this title who would be the one who saves. The very practical question, who or what is your Christ? Right? Christ is not a last name. It's, 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 a, it's a purpose. It's a role in life. It's, it's what you're looking to to save you. And again, this is for both Christian and non-Christian. Christians always, always need to also ask regularly, Am I really truly looking to Jesus as my Christ, as the Christ? Of course, there's all these responsibilities in life and things we have to take care of, but it's so easy to cross the line and begin to think that your bank account is your Christ, that someone's opinion of you is your Christ, what will actually save you and make you feel good about yourself. And then if we don't watch our minds and our attitudes, our motives, we begin to actually think, that all these human things is what will save us. Things We begin to think that nothing is impossible for us as humans, and we begin to think that these are the things that will actually save us before God. So ask yourself, who or what is your Christ? This is an important practical question that we got to return to again and again. So I want you to begin to see now the whole notion of if we let him. If we let him, and this is so important. Verse 25, Simeon, and what was very distinctive of Simeon was that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then later, I want you to notice the description about Joseph and Mary and his father and his mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about Jesus. So even Joseph and Mary, 
and especially Mary with an angelic visit and divine words spoken to her and being explained all these meanings of Jesus, even she and Joseph were still unpacking and growing in their knowledge of Jesus. And I don't doubt that their knowledge was growing about who their son is, was, is, and will be forever. That it was growing and growing and growing as a process. Now for friends uh, who are visiting today, we're so happy you're here. And I want to boldly say that you're not here just because maybe you had a friend invite you or you have uh, a nephew or niece or granddaughter or grandson uh, that performed today. Maybe on the surface, that was the reason you came. But I, I want you to be open to the possibility that it's the Holy Spirit who actually drew you here. The Holy Spirit who's just as the same Holy Spirit was revealing and opening up the eyes of Simeon's heart and mind to see this little baby and in his mind's eye to see this baby grown up as a full man who would be the Messiah, the one to be sacrificed in our stead for our sins. And in the same way, perhaps the Spirit is working in you right now to see this historical person, Jesus, more than someone just in history, but truly as the Son of God, as the one who saves, as the one, as history says, he was, uh, was hung on a cross, and that you would see with faith that the meaning of all that is he really took your place for your sin. And so Simeon says, and I hope you'll be able to say it with him, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. This is where true peace comes from. According to God's word, when we line up our lives according to his word, that's when tr the truest peace, not only for this life, despite our circumstances, but for eternity, will come because our eyes have seen your salvation. And so here's the choice. This is where even Simeon himself, I think he left these words to echo through the centuries, even to you and me today. And Simeon explains, behold, this child appointed for the fall and rising of many is a sign so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Even in this moment, as we think and consider uh, Jesus Christ, what's our choice? Are we going to let him become the one who saves and fulfills all the desires of our hearts? What is he revealing? And I hope that as whatever thoughts and, and affections and even emotions are stirring in you right now, that uh, you might join Simeon and you might join me and just others who call Trinity Grace Church home, uh, that you might just join us and okay, I believe. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Christ. And I want him to be my Christ. I want to see my life through his eyes and not only live as good of a life as I can for this life, but believing that there's a new world to come after death. Let's pray together. Lord, just pray for 
all of us here. Help us. Help us see how all our desires, especially to be redeemed, and our longings for justice, but it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. Lord, I pray for uh, as many more as possible today, Lord, that it would not only be Jesus the Christ, but Jesus my Christ. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.